Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food and One Pro. Restaurateurs live their lives by the numbers, and when Carl Sobosinski saw that COVID-19 case rates were racking up in Greenville, South Carolina, he knew he had to take action. Even though it wasn't mandated by local or state law, he voluntarily closed down all but one of his restaurants for a period after the holidays in an effort to keep his team and his diners safe. It was a tough decision that carried a price tag, but for him... It was the right thing to do. He joined Communal Table for a discussion about the mechanics and money behind this move, the efforts he's making to give his team members a path to ownership, and what keeps him grounded in tough times. Spoiler alert, I cried. Carl, thank you so much for joining me today. And a note to the listeners, um, folks who've listened to this podcast for a while know why I'm about to say this, but if you're new to it, uh, I might get kind of emotional and you will see why in just a little bit. Um, Carl, thank you for for joining me for this. Can you tell me a little bit about where you are right now? Sure. Thanks for having me, Kat, and Happy New Year to you. Happy. Uh, no, it's got to be happier. <laughs> that's right. And no worries on the emotion. My team knows uh, knows that I am an emotional guy and uh, and they're used to me getting emotional over certain <laughs> things. So this will be fun. It's It'll be real and, and raw and uh, truthful. So looking yeah. forward to it. We are, um, you know, I'm, I'm here in Greenville, South Carolina. We are uh, battling through uh, COVID and this pandemic like everybody else. We have seven restaurants um, and they have done um, everywhere from, we have a plant-based um, juice bar called Southern Press Juicery. That's 100% plant-based uh, cold-pressed juices, superfood smoothies, and acai energy bowls. And that brand is actually up about 25% year over year. Everything else, our full-service restaurants, um, struggled last year, but but we're all still here, and, and we've learned to adapt and, and um, are going to be here when we come out of this on the other side. But they're all down 25 to 30%, and our catering operations off over 50%. Yeah, so you are in Greenville County in South Carolina, and the case numbers, which I study avidly uh, because uh, uh, my my family's there, and I just I keep a really really close eye on it. Um, it's it's spiking like it is all over the country. Yes, it is um, really you know as we were told after thanksgiving and family gatherings and people traveling that things were going to spike and sure enough they did um you know and and unfortunately a report came out recently that we are number one or number two in positive cases per thousand um residents in our in our community so uh right now greenville is is um not doing the best job of um either avoiding gatherings, quarantining, staying, um, staying put. And, uh, and it's a little bit frustrating. Um, but we also understand the, the fatigue and, um, you know, the need for people to, to work and support their families and get kids to school. So, um, you know, we're just, we're just imploring everybody to band together and, and do the right things uh, to minimize 
these cases as much as we can. Yeah, I mean, it's been so immensely uh, frustrating to me to see from afar because, you know, my, my dad and my sister live uh, nearby. They, they live, you know, in the Greenville area. My sister is a doctor in the healthcare system and, you know, and my, my dad lives with her and uh, he's in, he, you know, he's in his late seventies and he is in remission from cancer. And it is, you know, it, it they've been taking absolutely every precaution and it's, you know, I just found out today that my sister got her first of the two doses. And I, I, I mean, the, the wave of uh, relief that swept over my body was, was pretty intense. Um, and still I hear them telling me that they, you know, see people unmasked or just gathering and treating it like this is over. Uh, somehow, and this has been a tremendous source of frustration to them. You, so you have taken some active measures with your restaurants, and can you talk about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, first of all, when this, when we reopened in May, uh, you know, we got as tight and stringent as we could with the guidelines, and and took every precaution, and we have followed those, you know, to a T. Nobody's perfect, so uh, I'm sure there's, you know, been days when a, a staff member or two missed a step of service with with cleanliness or cleaning tables but for the most part i'm confident that over 99 percent of the time we are we are nailing every step of what we need to do and social distancing our tables our employees have been in masks 100 percent of the shift since the day we reopened um, extra steps in cleaning our tables, uh, letting them sit and dry and sanitize, hand sanitizer at all entry points and throughout the restaurant. Uh, just numerous precautions that we've been doing since reopening in May. And I will say that by doing those, they, they certainly don't, uh, they're not 100% going to um, stop the spread of this virus. But we have not had or known of any outbreaks within our restaurant, within our restaurant staff that have occurred in the restaurant. Now, of course, with over 300 associates, we have had right. um, associates test positive. And, you know, I'm proud to say that it's less than 20 people since we reopened. So, you know, 6% of our workforce essentially has tested positive over that time. And every one of those has been able to be traced back to outside of work, family gatherings, family mm -hmm. interactions. Um, and that, that did not have to do with work. So point being that restaurants that are taking these precautions are creating, you know, the safest environments that they can, allowing us to be open. What we ended up doing and realizing, and, you know, we, we've been in business 24 years here in Greenville, expanding our company, and, and we do feel a sense of leadership and that we need to take, um, you know, to take the lead and, and set precedent in a lot mm -hmm. of situations. And this is certainly one of them. Um, and so as we heard about the spike uh, that would come after Thanksgiving and we actually saw it, and then we knew that similar things would happen with people gathering at Christmas and New Year's, uh, we just took a long, hard look and said, what can we do to protect our associates, to protect our guests, and to kind of you know make a statement to the community that, listen, folks, we if we all do our part and we all just take, you know, take a little bit of the suffering or a little bit of the pain, it's going to slow this thing down faster. And so we made the decision in early December that uh, once we got through the new year, that we were going to close our restaurant for the first week of January. Mm -hmm. So we ran through New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, 
uh, did brunch on Sunday, January 3rd, and then shut the restaurants down um, and just gave everybody the opportunity to hopefully kind of self-quarantine, self-monitor and stay at home, um, you know, not drawing customers into our restaurants uh, and just giving that little bit of a pause, a little bit of a break. And so we closed from January, the night of the 3rd on through uh, this past Sunday, the 10th, and we reopened yesterday, uh, January 11th. So how uh, how was that handled financially? Because there, are, you know, people who work in restaurants sort of notoriously live, you know, paycheck to paycheck. They rely on tips and all that. So how so how did you account for that? Well, we we have always taken the approach that this is not a transient job. This is not a transient business, and we want professional uh, associates. And so. Um, we have benefits of health insurance and 401k and vacation pay. So the close down, this was 100% on us, on the company. We paid our salary managers. Uh, we asked them to do some kind of administrative work or something for two out of the days that we were closed. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe come in and clean your restaurant, uh, do some inventory, things like that. And the rest of it was vacation pay that is not accumulated against their vacation time. Mm-hmm. Hourly associates were... Uh, permitted to use, um, you know, their vacation pay to continue to get um, get compensated for the time away. And we gave them, you know, was giving them a month's notice in early December. You know, we kind of gave them that notice that if you don't have enough vacation time or you don't want to use it, you know, go ahead and do your financial planning to know that those, those seven days the restaurant will be closed. Uh, and, you know, I thought that that might be somewhat of a concern, but the response um, on our on our internal Facebook pages and schedule flies where we post things has been overwhelmingly positive. You know, thanks for doing this great company to work for. They care about us. First time I've had a vacation in two (laughs) years. I mean, just overwhelming support. Um, And we also have a fund that was created um, early on in, in March and April when this all happened that we put some money aside and we had some customers contribute so we have a fund that's available uh, for someone who might be struggling, uh, power bill, some help with rent, um, different things that they might need. So those those monies are there as well. Yeah. So, you know, I spend a lot of time talking with uh, restaurant workers in crisis and, you know, mental health is a, a drum that I bang very, very loudly. And uh, what have you seen about the impact that all of this has had on um, you know, the, the people who work for you? Because it, it's you know, it's an absolutely terrifying thing. It is something that people are not somehow exempt from. And, uh, you know, and I've, I know how customers sometimes can, you know, get loose in a restaurant and not necessarily take the well-being of their server into account. And uh, what have you seen from behavior of guests and the sort of effect that all of this stress has had on uh, the people who work in your restaurants. Well, I mean, we could, we could do a whole couple hours segment (laughs) on the different, you know, the different things we've seen, but, you know, I will say that the, um, the majority of the guests have been respectful. Um, You know, that there's always the exception. And I would say that the, the folks that are, disrespectful or not adhering to the 
the guidelines um, are definitely the exception. They're few and far between. The biggest frustration is when a manager's not readily available at the front door and a guest comes in without a mask and a, you know, a poor 18, 19 year old host hostess has to, you know, grab the, the uh, basket of masks and hand it to them and ask them to please, you know, please wear a mask until we Mm -hmm. get to your table. And most people are respectful and throw one on. Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot it in the car. But (laughs) every now and then there's somebody that wants to point out their feelings on it. And, um, and get into, you know, a poor associate's face and, and just be rude and disrespectful. And so we, uh, you know, our government, local government has said, we don't expect you all to police this stuff from an associate and an employee standpoint, but, but please do your best to, you know, try to get people to wear their masks. Yeah. I mean, have you had to come up with a protocol for that sort of how you uh, address that to people who maybe aren't used to being told no, or that they have to do something? you know, it's just sort of a case by case situation where we, you know, we've taught people the proper way to ask someone to, to put it on and then um, and then really try to just leave that conversation and communication between manager and guest and not um, frontline hourly associates. And yeah, I, I will note uh, for the record, your people are really good at handling guests. Uh, so I've been in your restaurants like countless times when I had been uh, visiting family and I was in Sobeys once, uh, which for, so for folks who aren't acquainted with these restaurants, they're a big damn deal. And if you say, where do I go and eat in Greenville, it's going to be one of these restaurants and you go and they are absolutely jam packed and people are having a just, you know, really great time. And uh, I was able to be seated at like the the very last seat that was open at the bar a few years ago. And I was in in town um, to visit family and, you know, you always need a little bit of respite and, and all that. So go to one of your restaurants. And I, I went and, and was sitting, you know, sort of quietly at the bar and the POS went down. So they're not able to process any credit cards. Uh, you know, all this, this, you know, chaos is erupting around from, you know, people who want to pay their tabs and go, but I saw your staff be so cool headed about the whole thing and, uh, you know, speak back to some really kind of agitated and entitled customers in a very, very calming way. And I was just like sitting, eating pimento cheese at the bar and having a drink. <laughs> and it ended up being really sweet because I was just, you know, they were apologizing to me. I was like, do your thing. It's okay. I am really, really happy here right now. Is You know, all this stuff is, is going on around me. Y'all didn't cause it. You're trying to cure it. You know, all this stuff. And I think they ended up like comping me a drink or something like that just for like not raising a snake. And I was like, you don't have to. I'm just trying to be a normal person here. But uh, they were so sort of attuned to not embarrassing people who were behaving kind of awfully. <laughs> but it was uh, so I, I just somehow expect that people would be good at diffusing it. But now that all of this has been sort of caught up in um, not just sort of regular like Saturday night behavior or whatever, but in politics, I mean, that just adds an extra layer of strain and stress on top of it. And my thing I've really, really wanted to do is to show everybody involved in this equation. These are all human beings trying to do their job. If somebody asks you to put a mask on, it's because they, it, they, they have to do that for their job. And I don't know, it's just been a really upsetting thing. And it's not just in restaurants. I've you know, known that it, it's been sort of prevalent throughout uh, the state, just people not complying. Why do you think people are not complying at this point? Are they not seeing it? Like, what's, what's going on there? Well, I did, you know, it's funny that 
to speak of the point of sale going down, you know, we, we try to teach our folks that, you know, things like that, those are first world problems. Like nobody's <laughs> dying over this, just relax, you know, it's all going to be okay. Um, it, you know, the mask thing is just, we live in a beautiful country where everybody's allowed to, you know, have their beliefs and their opinions. And, um, it, you know, it's a very, very small group of people, I think that, you know, that are really bucking the system and don't want to put their mask on. I think there's plenty of validity to, I mean, I, I use our restaurants as an example, reopening in May and having, you know, a handful literally of cases amongst our huge workforce mm -hmm. really proves that if you wash your hands frequently, if you sanitize, if you wear your mask, try not to have, um, you know, up close, lengthy conversations, you, you're doing all the steps that you have to do. So why somebody wouldn't see that and, um, and comply with it. I don't know, but, but, you know, we just, you know, we have this, a couple of mottos and things that we talk about on a regular basis to remind our team first world problems, you know, somebody that's that agitated over something that appears so small, they must just be having the worst day ever. And, you know, don't take it personally, just, you know, you don't know their story, let them vent, um, try to keep a smile on your face. And then, if it gets out of control and it gets abusive, then of course, you know, one of our managers will go by and, and diffuse the situation as carefully as we can. But, but those are so few and far between. And there's just, there's everybody out there, you know, wants to, wants to have their opinion and their, their um, feelings on this. I wonder how much uh, crying and screaming has been done in walk-ins all around the country. <laughs> 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 Those walk-ins have, I mean, they, that's, you know, t that tends to be the sort of let it out place, even in regular times. I can only imagine what, uh, you know, what's, what's been happening in there because it's, you know, it's a safe, safe sort of space where you are, you know, I, I, who was it in particular who told me that, oh, it was Alex Gornichelli once uh, told me about the sort of alchemy of the hot tears uh, on your face versus the cold of the walk-in and how refreshing that is. And then uh, Will Gadaro was telling me he likes to take his shoes off and stand in his socks in a walk-in because the cold on his feet. I think there needs to be like some scream therapy or something going on. It's like a soundproof room. I mean, you can go in there and you can scream and let it all out. You, you can't run outside and do that. Can't be off the line that long. But it's, uh, so yes, if those walls of the walk-ins could talk, could write oh, a book or two. <laughs> really? And I, I've actually, you know, been trying to encourage people to have group screams. And I've done that with a couple of restaurant teams, sort of back when you could be together, like sort of open mouth screaming. I got uh, together the team at, uh, at Blackberry Farm uh, in the in the in the uh building there and we all just oh, screamed cool. to the roof yeah it was it was a really amazing uh thing and just sort of letting all of that you know that energy out it's a really really healthy thing and i think you know so many of us again like i was saying there's nobody who's immune from this we're all dealing with this in all kinds of of different ways and i know you know restaurants this has ha this has to have been so incredibly stressful for you during all of this time because you know it's your restaurants and you're overseeing people who you care about and I want to get some into 
how much you care about your employees because you know I was uh, reading as I was prepping for this interview about you you know selling parts of your restaurants over to people who work for you and really tr- you know making them part of this whole equation so you're a person who's like trying to take care of everybody in the meantime how have you been taking care of yourself during this um it, you know in the beginning stages it was uh you know leaning on my faith and reading daily devotionals and just putting things into perspective that, uh, you know, it was springtime in South Carolina when this thing hit and it's a beautiful place to be year round, but in the spring, um, there was lots to do. So, or lots to be thankful for. So taking long walks and meeting neighbors and, um, just, just connecting with people. Um, you know, it might've been by email or text or phone, but connecting with people that we hadn't, uh, necessarily connected with on a regular basis. And then as the businesses got back open um, and, and during that time when the businesses were closed and our staff was furloughed, just checking in on them, you know, a few people individually, but collectively as a group, uh, staying in touch and letting them know where we were and when we anticipated coming back and um, did they need to dip into this fund that we had created and, and what could we do for them? So uh, just, you know, really humanizing it and and being there for our team, knowing that nothing lasts forever. This nothing we've never seen anything like this, but we are going to get through this, and we're gonna. Your jobs will be here. Um, we fortunately we were a strong company when this thing started, and you know we had the resources to to muscle through. We were fortunate to get in line early on the PPP funding, and so that those funds came in and that was hundred percent used for, for wages and our employees. Um, so, you know, for me personally though, I just really leaned on family, friends and, and faith and, um, and got through it. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of family who live in both North Carolina and, uh, South Carolina and, you know, and them talking about various senses of urgency, depending on, on where they live, <laughs> you know, some of the, the folks in, uh, North Carolina saying, you know, they all kind of went to the same country club and nobody was taking it seriously until everybody at the country club got freaking COVID. <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, I have, um, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law and their their spouses like have been spending a lot of time in uh, in in Deberdu, uh, you know, it's sort of near Georgetown in South Carolina, and and really keeping to themselves because they're you know they're in some high risk groups, they're in their seventies, and they're sort of you know desperately missing their their kids and their grandchildren, um, and it being you know such a such a frustration. But it's you know from me being a person sort of looking in on this. Uh, from afar, uh, it's it's been um, really uh, in, intensely stressful. So, you know, for folks who've listened to this podcast for a while, you know, my uh, my mother died in a nursing home in Greenville, um, in in Simpsonville. I'm mean, sorry, in uh, Malden specifically, in Greenville County, um, the co- the county where you are, and uh, like over a month before. Uh, she was diagnosed and, and died of COVID. I started writing a, a story. Um, I live in New York, and we were going through various phases of you know, will they, won't they shut down here? And they had um, opened up outdoor dining, and I was exploring in my head. A friend of mine invited me to come and eat at uh, our sort of mutually favorite restaurant outside. 
And I just, I broke down in tears and I was trying to parse why this is. And I had built it up in my head that um, I just couldn't do it because I kept imagining people uh, sort of where my mother was in South Carolina, because I knew that they were all gathering and things weren't shut, getting together and somebody sitting next to somebody who went shopping next to the person who went shopping next to the person or, you know, whatever, uh, who works at my mother's nursing home and uh, an imagining spread that way. And there's absolutely nothing I could do from afar. And her nursing home had a, a tracker so you could see how many active cases there were and then how many deaths. And I just kept seeing it climb. And it was so painful to watch those numbers spike up and I could do nothing about it. And then to see images of people just going on about their lives um, and you know, and I had to go through the experience of saying goodbye to her over FaceTime and then attending her service over speakerphone. And, uh, you know, and it's, I don't want any, I don't care what anybody's politics are. I don't want anyone in the entire universe to have to go through what my family has. Um, and I still look at the tracker on her nursing home and there are 40 deaths out of 180 residents at this nursing home. Um, and I, and yet I still see people fighting mask wearing and I see people, you know, saying, ah, this is my freedom that I don't have to wear a mask. And like, but how about the people who, like my mother who'd been on lockdown since mid-March, hadn't seen my dad in person since mid-March, like where's the freedom there? And it's just it's this collective responsibility. So when I found out that you were sort of voluntarily doing this, um, it, uh, it really hit home to me um, because sometimes people won't do the right thing and they have to be sort of uh, guided into it. And um, this is painful to me that people wouldn't voluntarily do the right thing. And, but it really heartened me that you did. Um, so thank you for, for doing that. Well, thank you. And thanks for sharing, sharing all of that. And, uh, and our hearts go out to you and your family, take a deep breath. And, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you, you talked about responsibility and, and I just, you know, and we have, we don't want to beat this dead horse, but we, I do believe that it's everybody's responsibility to do their, their part. And for those of us that, you know, are in positions of, of having businesses, business ownership, um, you know, leaders in a, in a community, then you can take that responsibility a little bit further. And that's, you know, the bottom line and the impetus for what we did. And, you know, we weren't alone in our community. We have, um, you know, we have a couple others that have taken a day or two off here and there, but we also have um, a company, Sidewall Pizza, um, great great group of people and operators and they uh, have shut down their indoor dining uh, indefinitely and mm -hmm. they're just doing carry out and curbside. Um, you know, and I will say that while we shut down all of our full service restaurants, we did leave our, our um, healthy plant-based Southern press juicery open that week uh, because it's 90 plus percent carry out curbside. And it's, you know, products that quite frankly, I think people have gravitated towards during this pandemic. Oh, yeah. uh, because of the immune boosting capabilities of, of these foods. So, um, so that one did stay open. Um, but again, it, it's just, it's responsibility. And sometimes if people see, um, you know, somebody stepping up and doing something, maybe they hadn't thought about it yet. Yeah. Maybe they'll, maybe it'll um, spur them to, to do their part too, and to make a difference in any way that they can. Well, yeah, that's part of being a community leader 
I, I feel like is, you know, doing the hard, you know, doing the right thing is often the hard thing. And, you know, in, in the meantime, I have so much empathy for, you know, friends of mine. I have so many friends in the industry and they're just out there saying, well, you know, we need to make a living too. And absolutely. So it's, you know, it's been such a, a struggle because, you know, I have a, you know, a dear friend who'd been trying to open his place since May, managed to get it opened for seven services before New York City shut down again. And, you know, and they're having to do the, the takeout kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I don't think I've ever been angry or more frustrated in my life than I have been in this last year at, you know, inaction of the people who are supposed to take care of us, like, you know, you know, governmental help for restaurants, making it so difficult to get the, the, the PPP funding, especially if you're a smaller organization for, you know, being so sort of you know, not transparent about the rules and the criteria and not taking, you know, care of, of hospitality workers in, uh, you know, in the way that, uh, you know, perhaps the government uh, should. And I've just found myself at this intersection of wanting to keep people, you know, people, vulnerable people like my mother safe and also realizing that you know, people in this industry that I love so fiercely are are suffering, you know, financially and then emotionally and mentally. And, you know, the only, the only silver linings I've been seeing are people you know, sort of stepping up and figuring out, you know, really creative ways to to solve this. And, you know, it's we still don't know where it's going to land other than the fact that we do have some hope. My sister, you know, my sister just got vaccinated, my dad, hopefully in the next couple of, of months. And we're seeing, you know, that happen more and more. What do you what have you learned uh, during all of this? Um, any measures that you've had to take that you would you know, carry forward or some way that this will fundamentally change your business? Well, there's been uh, lots and lots of lessons. I mean, and, and I know we focused a little bit or we spoke a little bit about, you know, the people that aren't um, masking up and aren't taking this seriously. But honestly, that the majority of the people um, have really shown the true human spirit and taking care of others. Uh, one of the greatest things that came of this was uh, a partnership with one of our customers who had to cancel an event that he had planned here locally, a conference where he brought in his uh, software clients from around the country. And um, he canceled that event, but he had some funds set aside for the catering portion of it, which we were to be the caterer. And uh, so we put our heads together and we created this uh, program called Connect for Good. And we And he said, I've got the money to buy the catering, but I don't need the catering. So let's make meals and give them to our community where there's a need. Oh, and wow. this thing grew from a, from a goal of hoping to feed three to 5,000 people with uh, about $15,000 that he had to uh, expanding, getting other private contributions and then some public CARES Act money to we have now served over 130,000 meals. Oh my goodness. And so the it's not just the meals portion that's been amazing of feeding these people that are struggling and that have needs and as well as feeding some first responders and, and going in that direction. But to create 130,000 meals over the last several months has allowed us to increase from just our restaurants to over 30 restaurants in our community preparing mm -hmm. those meals, putting people back to work to make the meals, and then receiving, you know, not our typical uh, 
dinner and lunch uh, margins, but enough money to pay for the food and the servers and put it, or the cooks and the preparers of the food. So we've created jobs, we've fed a need that we had, and we've um, and we've put people, you know, back into back into their kitchens into the workforce. So, so that's been great. Yeah, our managers yeah. have, I'm sorry, our oh, managers yeah. have learned to uh, really manage their uh, financial statements much more closely. <laughs> and Thank so goodness. coming out on the other side, um, you know, I think a lot of the, the fat that we might have had in our budgets and in our uh, financials can be can be trimmed out and cut out and um, we can do things uh, much more uh, economical. And, and hopefully that leaves, you know, more margins for continuing programs like this connect for good and getting getting food to those in need yeah and i i feel like a lot of people in restaurants who i've been speaking with during this time have said like you know what this you know maybe they've done events before for charity or for hunger or something and but now it's just like no this is always going to be a part of what we do and they have found that their clientele is on board with that in a big big way and Amen. Yeah. And that they may be, you know, even, you know, I, I, my, I keep thinking that what is going to come out of this is, you know, I've really wanted to show sort of the faces of the people in this. So customers have gotten accustomed to, you know, a certain price point uh, on, on things. Um, and it, a lot of it has come out of the backs of the people who are actually working at the restaurants. But I think maybe as they have seen the, the humanity of the people who work in the restaurants, many of whom, you know, across the country haven't been able to afford to feed themselves. I feel like maybe, maybe uh, customers will be willing to pay a little bit more if they know that the people who are working at restaurants are more fairly compensated and have access to healthcare. But, you know, I know that that's going to be a community by community kind of, uh, you know, thing to do. Um, do you, th do you think that, you know, customers would be willing to do that in, in South Carolina, or at least in your community? I do. I think that, um, you know, I think on the hospitality industry standpoint, we've got to do some some better advocacy of telling our story and, and yeah. showing the faces of our associates and and who they are and what um, what they do for their community and, and all. But but we've already got examples of I mean, when the phones began ringing mid-March when when we shut down and, and you know, I had one individual I'll never forget. He had bought uh, gift cards at Christmas of 2019. And he had bought like $4,000 worth to give out to his customers and employees. And he still had $800 worth of gift cards. And he said, I want to give these back to you oh, and you wow. do whatever, you know, whatever's best. You want to uh, get meals for your employees. You want to give the money directly to your employees. Do you want to buy, you know, create meals and give them to, mm -hmm. um, you know, those that are struggling. And, and that was just one of many examples. Another restaurant uh, here in town had a customer. Uh, much like our Connect for Good program where we created meals, they were another one of the 30 restaurants that participated and, and helped lead the charge. Uh, and they had a customer come in and, and write them a check in the thousands, high thousands no. of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, and said, use this as long as you can to buy, uh, buy the produce and ingredients from local farmers to keep them going, put your employees back to work creating meals, and then distribute these meals through, you know, uh, uh, food banks and Meals on Wheels and um, uh, homeless shelters and 
and all that. So, and these are all customer driven uh, types of yeah. things. And that, and that just uh, multiplies. You can't see me on this end, but my eyeliner is running a little bit yeah. <laughs> because, you know, as much as I was, you know, sort of crabbing about customers and I just have that on my mind because, uh, you know, a friend of mine was telling me about her barbecue restaurant where people have like spat on her servers who asked people to mask up and, and stuff. But I've also seen some really incredible things uh, from, from customers at restaurants. And I've always said to people as I've been, you know, advocating for, you know, mental health and, and wellness for, for workers to, uh, you know, ask people to like, you know, sit down with your regulars, figure out who the people are who are like massage therapists or like, you know, run yoga classes or something and barter with meals. Because, I mean, it's it's an intimate thing, like sitting, you know, I think look at the people who sit at the end of the bar all the time and eat at the end of the bar and get to know them because it's it's such an intimate and beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, so many people have found out that their customers are like therapists or, you know, body workers or something like that and have ended up doing like these exchange programs with them to take care of, you know, get free classes for uh, the staff or something like that. And people really have shown their you know beautiful nature and you know it's i'm so fascinated by greenville in particular you know because i you know have a personal stake in it and that a lot of my family lives there so i end up there i end up eating at your restaurants a lot by the way i really do love your pimento cheese <laughs> you know <laughs> you had a pimento cheese and country ham plate at one of the places that i was especially oh, yeah. enjoying um and uh, I'm so interested in how Greenville has expanded. It's such an interesting thing. You have a such the the population has exploded tremendously for various reasons. Um, can you just talk through a little bit about uh, kind of the makeup of Greenville and the economy of it? Because it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, so Greenville is, uh, it's three hours from Charleston. A lot of folks have heard of Charleston, may not have heard of Greenville, but we're nestled halfway between Atlanta and Charlotte. Um, the community really started growing in the mid-90s uh, from, a, from a couple of decades of shutdown after the textile industry left the South and, and went overseas. Uh, but then we had a workforce that folks could work with. And so international companies, specifically the automotive industry, started looking at Greenville. And so we've got a, a huge international German, French uh, automotive industry presence here. Um, and that has just led to tremendous growth. And then the, the climate and, uh, and the region uh, tucked in with the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, beautiful lakes. And as I mentioned, three hours to the coast. It's just a beautiful place to be. And um, over the last few years, our community have been growing and people, you know, leaving big cities and northern cities with long, cold winters. But more specifically, um, this past spring with the lockdown and people realizing they could work virtually and work from almost anywhere, our lake region and mountain region has just been inundated with uh, real estate sales and folks moving to our area. So it's a beautiful place. Um, we don't want it to grow to the size of Charlotte and Atlanta <laughs> and have gridlock and traffic, but um, there's tremendous amount of opportunities here and, and just a beautiful lifestyle and quality of life. Yeah, it's I mean, it's such an international population. And I've always really loved it about that. You know, my, you know, my, my sister is, uh, you know, she's, a, you know, really adventurous eater, as is my dad, and they have, 
you know, I, I know that there was that campaign about like, yes, that green bill or, or something. It was, it was mm-hmm. something like that That's where, it. yeah, uh, where people were surprised about, you know, the sort of international options uh, available. But, you know, it just kind of it's just fact uh, there. And I really love that. I remember, you know, I've gone for you know, tremendous Indian buffets with with my dad for, you know, really you know, incredible sushi with my sister and, and stuff. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I was Swoop. coming, swooping in from, you know, from the, you know, like a you know, Brooklyn asshole again, like, uh, like, wait, there's this here. And I was like, stop being like that. Yes, of course there, you know, this, this is all over. I mean, I've been you know, incredibly impressed by, you know, by the place. And uh, I just remember in particular, like sitting um, like outside at Lazy Goat, <laughs> uh, where that's that's with the outside is lazy goat yes it's beautiful yes yeah yeah and there's this uh, body of water that runs through the center of town what is it called that is the reedy river the reedy river and it was just really really nice to sort of sit by that because you know often when i would uh, you know go to greenville it was you know my mother was uh you know going very unwell for you know before lockdown and all this and a lot of neurodegenerative stuff and if i was down in greenville it meant that she was not doing especially well and i you know always sort of took refuge uh at your restaurants during that because it's it's, there's something really kind of enchanted about getting to be in the middle of a city and sit like right by this body of water and be able to eat outside it was just a really really lovely thing and i can only imagine people really flocked to those outdoor spaces uh, when, you know, indoor was a little more difficult. Well, and that was one of the huge advantages that, that our restaurants have. Each of our restaurants um, has a significant amount of outdoor dining. Uh, we didn't have to wait for the city and county to tell people they could, we would shut down streets and they could go put tables in the streets or parking lots. Um, so we already had those great uh, outdoor areas and, and they really helped us muscle through this past year. Yeah, it's, do you find, you know, I'm I'm always interested to hear sort of what anything that you have heard from your various staffers about ways that they are taking care of, of themselves or how individual teams, if there are any measures that they have uh, taken, because I'm thinking of like, you know, the run clubs that happen at, at you know, Commodore in, in Texas or various, you know, initiatives that restaurants around the country have taken. And it tends to be sort of employee driven, though management might be involved where people just decide like, okay, we're going to be, you know, take this kind of measure. Is there anything that you've seen amongst your restaurants? Um, I, I mean, I think people just have a, that, again, I mentioned that human element, that uh, human nature comes out and people are just more concerned for their coworkers and their peers than, than maybe they had been before. They are vocalizing it more and they're helping each other. So it may just be uh, somebody that's struggling. Oh, well, I've got an extra room at my place. Come and, you know, move in with me for the next six months or, um, you know, carpooling and things like that. Um, But for for the most part, you know, our employees have, have been able to make it through. And a lot of them have told us, well, we can't go out now. So we, even though our, you know, our customer counts are down and our revenues are down. We're not spending as much money on um, discretionary things. So, you know, and I think that's, that's relevant for all of us, right? I mean, vacations have been put on hold, (laughs) uh, lots of our spending. So if, if our income goes down, um, as long as it's not grossly disproportionate with, um, with our expenses, then people have been able to make it through. They just are dealing more with the emotional 
side of not having a vacation, not getting away. Yeah. And that can't be discounted. And, you know, I have to force myself to like go and go on walks when it's still light outside. The, uh, the sort of early dark really hasn't helped anyone. I'm glad that it's, you know, for a while it was like, oh, it's 413. So of course it's incredibly dark outside, but it's like almost five now. So that, that definitely helps. Uh, but I do also want to say, uh, you know, I, I, I was reading up on, uh, you you've been over you know the past few years having some of the you know the people who work with you buy into the restaurants can you talk about that because i think that's really fascinating yeah it's turned out to be an incredible program and it's one that i looked at the i looked at the business a few years ago i was going through a, a statewide leadership program and then i turned 50 a couple of years ago and you know, you just, at those moments, you start taking a look at the big picture and wait a minute, we've got nine restaurants. We're doing another, <laughs> like, what's the exit strategy? How do, right. you, how do you get out of this? And knowing that at that time we had over 400 associates and we had people that would love to be in restaurant management or restaurant ownership, but would never have the ability um, or the resources to do it. So um, I, I discussed with some peers different opportunities, ESOPs and things like that. Um, but what really seemed to make sense was the flagship that you mentioned, Sobeys, is, is my nickname on the front door. And that's, you know, my put in my sweat equity to build that. So that's off the table. But more or less any of our other restaurants, uh, I would love to um, turn them over, sell them to uh, the operating partners. And so we have now done that with three of our restaurants. Wow. The first one is Poppy's Tacos, and he was one of our first employees on day one when we opened Sobeys in 1997. True, uh, just the best version of the American, true American story. Um, came here as a Mexican immigrant, was a brick mason, and started washing dishes for us at Sobeys when we opened. Moved his way up through uh, prep cook, uh, line cook positions to a AM kitchen manager. And he would always feed us on Saturdays. He'd bring food from home and feed everybody as we were prepping for the dinner shift. And his food was always excellent. And one day I walked through the kitchen and, and we called him Poppy affectionately because his son worked here and we'd always hear his son calling him Poppy. Uh, and I said, you and me one day, Poppy's Tacos. And he said, okay, yes, sir, I would love to. And, uh, and so eventually about five years ago, maybe six years ago now, we opened a little taqueria. Uh, underneath the lazy goat along the river called Poppy's Tacos. And when it was time and we had um, we had paid back the investment uh, to ourselves, we uh, and we felt like him and his family were ready to take it on their own and not um, and set them up for success. We turned the restaurant over to them and uh, they became 100 percent owners of Poppy's Tacos. And then uh, since then, we've uh, opened up another restaurant, a very highly successful Italian concept with a great chef that had been in this business for 30 years. That's all he's known and all he's done. Uh, and he purchased that restaurant from us uh, the beginning of 2020. And then just this past uh, January 1st, um, another associate, Michael Minnelli, uh, the general manager at Passerelle Bistro, uh, purchased that restaurant from us. Um, so, even in 2020, we had two um, operators uh, buy two of the restaurants from us and take them over and realizing uh, what true ownership is all about. And for me, it's been wonderful to um, kind of divest some of the company and, and not have as much on our plate 
give us the resources if we do see another opportunity to take on another opportunity. And then, um, and then sort of as a legacy, um, you know, sort of creating this incubator of, of the next generation of restaurateurs and chefs. I really love that. I mean, I, I think a lot of those sort of restaurant dynasties that have happened are, are actually more appropriately like family trees of, of restaurants where, you know, it's everything flowed out of a particular place. And, you know, I, I've seen sometimes, you know, restaurateurs being like, oh, this chef left me or whatever like that. I'm like, but it, the ones who, who I think of as really great leaders are like, oh, this person like grew for me and they started their, you know, this restaurant or got this restaurant or somehow came into it. And just think of all the people who are going to come out of there as well. And that's, you know, I, I just think it's a really beautiful thing because it is so hard to get that initial equity in a restaurant to get somebody to believe in you and, and all that. And if you've knocked down barriers for that, that's a really tremendous legacy to be leaving. I love that. Well, and any of us that think, you know, and it, this applies to any business, I think, but anyone who thinks that the business is all about you know, themselves or one person. I mean, you're, you're kidding yourself and you're crazy. <laughs> this is a, this is a team, uh, effort 100% and every aspect of the team needs to be working in sync and in harmony. And sometimes there's, there's people that stand out and, you know, take a little greater role and those, those folks should be rewarded. And, um, you know, what am I going to, I've been, you know, more blessed and more fortunate than I ever imagined and than I ever deserved. And so if we can, we can be successful and, and pass some of these on and, and help others. I mean, it took every one of these associates that's worked with us to help me realize my dreams. So if we can mm-hmm. um, help others realize their dreams, then, then I think we've left the world a better place. Yeah. And I can't tell you how much I am looking forward to sitting in one of your restaurants again, because that'll mean that I'm, you know, I'm back there and things are, you know, somewhat back. And it means, you know, I get to go hug my dad, which I, you know, haven't gotten to this whole time. And uh, Mm. I'm so looking forward to that. And, you know, thank you for being part of, you know, what's going to get us there quicker. Now, I'm just going to ask you a few questions that I ask everybody, if you don't mind. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's sort of more fun that way. So, you know, you've talked about what you want to, you know, the sort of what you've done for other people who work for you, what you've done for the community. What is the selfish thing you want for for you? Because I believe in saying these things out loud. So somebody listening can help you get there. Oh gosh. I mean, there's nothing material or tangible. For me, I want, uh, you know, I want my children to, I have two teenage daughters. I want them to um, not drive me crazy and uh, for them to grow, to be strong, um, confident young ladies and women uh, and to be healthy. Um, You know, and I want my community to continue to uh, address the issues that that need to be addressed. And and I want to be a part of, of helping our community overcome some of the workforce housing challenges that we have, the poverty challenges, the food desert challenges that we have. And that will give me great satisfaction if, if I can be a a part of the solution to some of our challenges. Yeah. What is, what is your comfort food? Pasta. Ooh, tell me more. Anything pasta, but (laughs) if I've got a weekend where I can just prepare a week's worth of meals, I'll get in there and start with a homemade red sauce that just simmers all day and then make a lasagna and some stuffed shells and 
um, and a nice hearty meat sauce and bolognese that that I can pour over pasta all week long. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that it sounds <laughs> like I just want to fall into a bed of that. That sounds so lovely. So, what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Oof, I'm going to borrow that question. Um, <laughs> for an icebreaker with my team uh i guess my birthday dinner uh, a couple weeks ago um had a dinner with you know in covid it's difficult but we had a dinner with 12 of us together my two daughters my wife um and some close friends and we had a chef one of our chefs that um is is working on a new concept with us he uh prepared the meal and and um put in a lot of the touches and a lot of foods that that i love so it was just great um, I kind of consider that an honor to have him cook for me and, uh, and do the foods that he knows I love. Oh, late happy birthday to you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I don't count him anymore. You know, those, those birthdays during quarantine are, are rough. So this next question, I've actually changed how I'm asking it right now. Cause I used to ask people like, Oh, when is the last time somebody cooked for you in their home? But that's a little difficult, uh, you know, right now with, you know, visiting and COVID and stuff. What is the restaurant meal that you are looking forward to more than any? Um, Oh, goodness. We had a trip to Italy canceled uh, last summer, and we are hoping that we can get there this summer. So I don't know the specific restaurant, but I know that this time (laughs) in Italy, I am just looking forward to uh, dining my way through the Florence area. (laughs) Pasta, watch out. (laughs) You know it. Oh my gosh. I've never been to Italy and that's very, very much uh, on the, you know, I have my running list of, okay, I'm going to go there when we're able to and there and there because I had to cancel so many trips to places and I'm just dreaming that out. And yeah. Uh, What living musician would you want to cook for or serve and what would you serve them? Uh, The boss. Springsteen. <laughs> you would not be the only person to answer that. And what would you make for the boss? Oh, uh, probably just grill a big old steak and make some <laughs> comfort food sides, um, and sit down with the best bottle of red wine and have a great conversation with him. Oh, what's your favorite album of his? Um, oh gosh. <laughs> all of them (laughs) (laughs) i mean the rising after 9-11 was was pretty incredible Um, yeah there's some great great tunes in there yeah dear bruce if you happen to be listening to this somebody puts this (laughs) in front of you and then last question Uh, if you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care what do you do um I am reading uh, each morning. I do that. And I've got uh, Tony Dungy's The Uncommon Life. And um, that's what I'm reading every morning. And uh, and then just kind of reflect on his message that, that he's got. I'm going to write that down. Thank you so much for both this conversation and the measures that you are taking to, to keep folks safe. I know those are hard decisions to make, but... Um, it means the absolute world to me. So thank you. Thank you, Kat. I can't wait to see you up here in Greenville <laughs> and um, and get our country and our communities uh, back to some semblance of the life that we knew. 
Thank you so much to our guest today, Carl Sobosinski. I know that was a really tough decision to close a restaurant like that, but he did it. And, uh, you know, and I hope his businesses are all tremendously successful and that the case rates go down. I, I've spoken with my sister, who is a healthcare worker in uh, the Greenville system, and uh, she said she's going to eat there more than ever. Um, happy to say that she has just gotten her second dose of the vaccine as a uh, as a doctor. And, uh, you know, I realized I got pretty emotional uh, during this, but this is, um, this is literally life and death. And I have seen up close and personal what this uh, horrifying virus does to people and to their families and their communities around them. And I, <clears throat> I can't beg enough for people to do whatever it is that they have to, to stop the spread, wear a mask, don't gather, all of these things, and, you know, support restaurants that are doing, um, that are taking these measures, uh, you know, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you're, you're probably in the business and you don't need to be told at what margins these um, businesses run and how much help they need and still need to have. So whatever we can to, you know, collectively support better health and better care of our fellow humans and especially those who work in restaurants. Let's do that. Um, it just, it matters so, so much. And, you know, at, at Food and Wine, especially Food and Wine Pro, uh, it is the section of Food and Wine where we're really looking at those stories and those facts and those figures that are the reality of restaurant life in normal times and in our uh, newish, normalish uh, times because you're you're our heart and soul and we love and care about you. And um, if you go to foodandwine.com slash fwpro, you can see more stories like Carl's and other restaurateurs and front of house, back of house, uh, farmers and, and grocery store workers and um, all the other people who make up the food system. You can find all their stories there and you can sign up for the Food and Wine Pro newsletter. So you don't even have to go digging. It just shows up in your inbox on Fridays. It is written by our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, and backed by uh, uh, my colleague, Osette Babur, and me. Always has the link to the latest podcast. And a mantra from our in-house uh, test kitchen editor and certified meditation instructor, Kelsey Youngman. Um, you can uh, see what our Kelsey's wisdom for the week. I know she shares it at our Monday morning meeting, and I find it incredibly helpful, and I hope you will as well. Thank you so much to our producer, Antara Sinha, who has just been doing tremendous work getting all of these podcasts um, in shape and in line, uh, despite difficult working uh, situations. Thank you so much, Antara. Thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. Thank you to Sarah Crowder, who gets together all of the images uh, for these. There's always a story on foodandwine.com to go along with these. Sometimes some extra written pieces from things we had to cut out of the episode or things we just wanted to emphasize more so you can see her work there. Um, it's just a great bunch of people. I feel lucky on a daily basis. And you know, I love doing this podcast and I hope you like listening to it and we can do more of that if on the place where you get your podcasts, especially Apple Podcasts and all of those other venues, if you leave stars and reviews and all of that, it really, really helps 
us uh, rise up in that uh, that algorithm. Oh, the, the algorithm. And if you tell a friend about it, it really also helps us and just keep spreading the word about this. And also you can reach out to me um, to let me know who you think we should be hearing from. Um, whether it's a you know a chef a you know, a a farmer or some worker in in food somehow um, I would love to know about them and uh, what you would like to hear hear talked about and you can email me at cat.kinsman at foodandwine.com or hit me up on Twitter kitten with a whip um, I'm always happy to talk to folks and uh, get feedback so uh, let me know what you would like most importantly of all of this. Take good care of yourself until the next time.